Welcome to Launched. I'm Charlie Chapman, and today I'm super excited to bring you the masterminds behind the recently released third-party Twitter app, Nighthawk, Nathan Lawrence, and Sam Gold. Guys, thank you for coming on the show. Hello, gentlemen. Thanks for having us. So before we kick things off, uh, I have to do basically the most stereotypical podcaster move and apologize for my voice. I, like we talked about beforehand, I considered rescheduling this in the first place, but I remembered I have two kids in preschool in the winter and people are just going to have to get used to hearing my voice with, with a little bit of a cool, cold voice or it sounds cool in your head, but it sounds terrible <laughs> to everybody else. So, uh, but anyway, we're going to move on. So to, uh, to start out the show here, we I'm trying out a thing where we kick off with an icebreaker question just to kind of get the conversational juices going and everything. So today we have a question from Twitter user GoodBinary, and he asks, where and when did you first use a computer and what was it? And we'll start with you, Sam. Um, I, I've been thinking about this uh, one shockwave game for the past eight years, and I can't find it anywhere, but that was my first hands-on experience with a computer. Um, it was in 2003 on my uh, Nana's iMac G4. Uh, this is the earliest I remember. I, I might have used a uh, computer before then, but who's to say? Um, it was a shockwave game uh, made by the company behind the Wiggles, and I was a big Wiggles stan at that time. Wait, a, a big what now? Wiggles, the the Wiggles stan. The Wiggles stan? I, I, I stand the Wiggles. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, the, the Wiggles are um, this really neat Australian children's band. Um, oh, okay. And I, <laughs> I, I, I stand them so hard. I, I'm not familiar with this phrase at all. I stand them. Uh, Am I showing? Is this a thing where I show I'm showing my age or something? Yes. Oh no! <laughs> Didn't take long. <laughs> uh, I just want to interject uh, very briefly here that this is uh, the absolute best moment that could have possibly occurred already. <laughs> <laughs> Cool two so, minutes in and we're already uh having some pretty existential questions on here so wait a minute uh, all right <laughs> real real talk here i honestly don't know if you're trolling me right now or if this is a real thing because i have genuinely never heard this phrase <laughs> so you so to say that you like something is to say that you stand it uh so there's i'm a fan of it and then there's when you take it a level further uh stan which uh could be super fan oh no d s-t-a-n like the, the oh, name oh okay <laughs> uh, it could be stalker fan it could be super fan i'm not sure i've only heard it in passing and i've adopted it very quickly into my personal vocabulary uh but from from that one day that i played that very bad uh wiggle shockwave game i knew that um i was going to be making an application to one day curb hate speech <laughs> I have to say, uh, I have like five days left in my 20s, and uh, <laughs> you basically just deleted those five days. And I, I, I'm, I'm old now, so I appreciate that. <laughs> Glad to have helped. 
<laughs> All right. Uh, so, Nathan, uh, where and when did you first use a computer and what was it? I, I imagine it's going to be slightly different, but I'll be very surprised to hear that it's, if it's the same. Uh, so this is one of those interesting things where we are we're spanning the generations. This has been one of the, the sort of the the really the really fun things about working with Sam is that uh, I, I, Sam is a, a good bit more youthful than I. Um, I am only a couple years younger than you, which means that uh, my earliest memory of a computer is a Mac Quadra. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so it, I wasn't remember, a, it wasn't a shockwave wiggles game. No, no. I remember uh, uh, not really any details of using a computer so much as watching someone else walk up to, uh, it may have been a perform, I'm not a quadra, I'm not 100%, because I think it was an all-in-one, walk up to what probably was a performer or a quadra and just take this massive magnet and stick it on the screen, the CRT, horrible <laughs> things happen, walk away. That's my first memory of a computer. <laughs> Man. Who is this person? Just like a kid in a school and is like, ah, I'm going to throw a magnet at a screen. Oh, that was that was a go-to move with a CRT. Yeah, he was in my kindergarten class. His name was Adam. Wow. That's a very strong memory. Uh, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I'd say this was this was a pretty successful uh, icebreaker question. So uh, thank you. Good binary. And uh, if any of you have a question that you think uh, could top that one, which might be difficult, uh, you can tweet it at uh, launched FM on Twitter with the hashtag icebreaker and uh, and I'll scoop those up. So. Uh, before we get into Nighthawk, the app that you guys built, I just kind of want to get a quick like background on on you guys. So um, starting, we'll start with you, Nathan. So I want to kind of get like, one, where are you from? Uh, two, what's your like education? Is it a formal education in this space? Something totally different, whatever. And then three, um, if, if you already have one, like what was your career sort of leading up to the release of this app? Um, so... I, I'm, I'm from sort of, uh, I'm from Colorado in the United States, sort of the, the boulderish area. Um, and I've always been sort of a, a programmer a little bit. I've been interested in this stuff, but it's never been my full-time job, really. Uh, it's always been a part of what I do. So right now I work in public radio as a, um, a digital editor, basically. And, um, I sort of teach journalism and I uh, serve as this digital editor in this public radio capacity, which sometimes involves web programming and a lot of uh, a lot of React lately and things like that. But it's not really my full time job to do that stuff. And when I went to college, uh, I got an English lit degree and a, a documentary film degree. And I studied a bunch of computer science, but my degree is not really in computer science. Um, so a lot of my education about computer science and about computer technology has come from desperation. Uh, it came from <laughs> in college having to solve a really bad problem and realizing, oh, this is on a list of wildly famous unsolvable problems. Or it comes from uh, just uh, over time sort of developing a thing or being fascinated by a thing and then uh, hitting a wall and going, okay, I have to educate myself on this thing. Um, so I... I, I feel like I fall in this interesting category of someone who finds the academic aspects of computer science very stimulating, as well as sort of the building things aspects. But I don't have necessarily a ton of like I don't I don't have a PhD to back that up by any means. I am a, a novice computer scientist who's built a lot of computer programs um, and sort of continues to do it as. Uh, 
uh, hobby plus, I'd say, because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure as we'll, we'll, we'll address, uh, we still got day jobs, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, so I think, yeah, is, is that adequate? <laughs> yeah, definitely. And then, uh, Sam, what's, what's yours? Sure. So, um, in the interest of, uh, making you both age by another 20 years. I was born December 2001. And uh, my first major forte into uh, technology was with my YouTube channel uh, that I started up in 2012. The uh, fun uh, age of fourth grade. I don't know what age is that. Oh my gosh. (laughs) What? No. Yeah, that doesn't, that math doesn't seem right. 2012, I was... You'd be 11, right? That makes sense. Yeah. Is that fourth grade? I, it, this, this is entirely ancillary to the core point here that you were in a grade <laughs> that's a single digit in 2012. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can Good someone Lord. tweet at launched FM what year you have to, what uh, grade you're at at age 11? <laughs> That'd be greatly appreciated. Yeah. Really, really, really uh, not live follow up. <laughs> It would be really nice to have some feedback in a, in a few uh, units of time. Um, but I, I started that YouTube channel in 2012 at uh, some age and some grade uh, and learned a lot about uh, the, the space, largely uh, in Apple, uh, in the Apple field. Made some regrettable videos. Uh, I made a puppet show uh, describing the different tiers of an AT&T mobile plan. <laughs> Um, and we wonder why I didn't have friends in fourth grade. Uh, as I got older, I got um, partnerships with different brands. I uh, worked with uh, Google. I got a pity care package from Apple. Uh, and then uh, in 2018, I stopped making videos to focus on um, not failing at school. Uh, I'm now in my uh, final year of high school. I'm uh, set to go to the new school in Manhattan this fall for design and management, sort of design thinking uh, business program. And uh, somewhere in between that, uh, I built Nighthawk with Nathan. And so let's get into like, how did you guys end up working together on this? So I... This is my understanding, so correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that you, Sam, are kind of on the design side and like marketing side, and then Nathan, you're kind of on the the implementation coding side. Is that accurate or does it is it more blended than that? Uh, I, I think that's pretty spot on. Nathan, correct me if I'm um, not on the right track, but um, we, we both have a pretty good relationship in interdisciplinary, like subdisciplinary uh, relations. Um, so Nathan has been incredibly uh, helpful in, in helping me find weird UX things that I, I wouldn't have thought of uh, because sometimes you just need a, a fresh set of eyes uh, after looking at the same uh, mock-ups and sketch for hours on end. And uh, I send my mock-up to him and he says, that looks weird. And I look at it again and I say, yeah, it does look weird. <laughs> and uh, he's also been really uh, great with um, helping me with brand communication. Um, we decided really uh, early on after launching that uh, we should be writing personalized replies to each um, App Store review. Uh, and he's been invaluable in helping me um, 
figure out the right tone and uh, what what to say to each of those uh, replies. Yeah, I think it's an interesting thing because uh, I I will I, I talk ad nauseum in every possible setting about the fact that basically everybody codes whether they realize they're doing it or not. Um, and I don't know if Sam realizes how much pair coding he's been doing with me. Uh, is that a familiar concept? I, I know it's familiar to, to Charlie, uh, but like that's often where you're, you're talking through a scenario with someone else and you t- the, the two of you sort of take turns implementing bits and pieces of it. And often we've gone back and forth on something like that and tried to figure out how are we going to make this happen. And we, we've, we've gotten very sort of close to the metal in some of the, the questions that we've been answering that way. Um, uh, I and then we've absolutely had uh, very vocal arguments about design before. So like, we we've definitely had input <laughs> on the work that each other do. Uh, but uh, it, it's been one of the the sort of the neat things uh, to me has been that uh, Sam and I come at so much from such different places and such such different views. Um, uh, and that that happens in some of these contexts around like programming and some of these not. Uh, I, I said at one point, and I still think this is sort of true to a degree, that, that Sam's the yes half and I'm the no half of a lot of things. <laughs> is, is that that Sam will, will have an idea for something and I'll, I'll say, yeah, that's great, but here are the 85 ways it's going to fail immediately. And then, of course, uh, that doesn't mean it's not going to happen. It just means I have to work harder to find the solution and we have to, we have to work together to figure out the way around it. Um, and, uh, that's been a, a really sort of stimulating part of this experience that I hadn't gotten a lot of before because so much of the work I've done has been in isolation. So like, how do you guys work together? Cause you're, I mean, you're far apart, uh, physically, right? You're in Missouri, Nathan and, uh, Sam, you're in New York state. Is that right? Uh, Connecticut. Connecticut. Okay. So yeah. So how do you guys get in those arguments? Is it, you know, like texting or is it like Skype? Although it sounds like uh, Skype has been kind of a, a bear to figure out. We started with verbal uh, altercations through the phone and then we took it over to uh, written snail mail. And then we decided that uh, <laughs> getting in arguments through snail mail wasn't working. So we uh, we switched over to uh, iMessage and Slack. Yeah, uh, iMessage and Slack. I would say mostly iMessage because the thing is that, uh, especially after launch, I've found often the things that we need to communicate about are not the things that can wait until someone opens Slack if they're at school all day. Uh uh, don't tell his parents. Uh, but like, <laughs> I am a hundred percent convinced I will text Sam something, and uh, and he'll be responding like in uh, what what do they call it? Is it passing period? Passing time. Passing time. Okay. Well, sure. Why not? Okay. In passing time, I'm I'm convinced that sometimes you're responding. Then um, we have a Slack. It was very active for a while. We sort of go on and off. It's also weird to have two people in a Slack. It's sort of you know. Uh, oh, let's take it to the other channel where exactly the same two people will be talking. Uh, so there's been a lot of iMessage. <laughs> yeah, I've heard a lot of people talk about uh, using Slack as a sort of like a different place to have the same conversation. Even within Slack, this is a thing where it's like talking in certain channels has a different like context. So like even if it's with the same people having like starting a conversation in iMessage sort of lends itself to more urgency, whereas Slack maybe lends itself to less urgency, whereas the Slack general channel maybe lends itself to even less urgency, you know, something like that. So I've heard people like with friends use that as a way to sort of uh, divvy up uh, conversational uh, importance, I guess, or context. This is what got me going on thinking Slack was going to be perfect for us was hearing Stephen Hackett and Mike Hurley talk about the way they use it for Relay. 
because they they'd mentioned friendship conversations happen in messages and business conversations happen in the Slack. And I thought, that's really practical. That makes a lot of sense. We, we, should, we should divide this stuff up. And I realized at some point that uh, so much of the business work that we do and so much of the friendship non-work that we do is so predicated on these shared passions that they bleed. They bleed so much that it wasn't worth trying. <laughs> yeah. And like in their case, that's their full-time job. Mm-hmm. So that sort of distinction might be both harder and more important to make. Yes. Um, so, yeah. No, that's interesting, though. That's interesting to hear because that's the thing I've always thought of, but I've never had, you know, I haven't worked on a small team like that. So, yeah. So, I guess let's go ahead and actually get into Nighthawk itself. We've sort of talked around it a lot, but uh, from, from like, my perspective on this, Nighthawk is, it's a third-party Twitter client, um, and it's not, you know, it's not, like, as full-featured or old or been around as, like, Twitter mm-hmm. or Tweetbot, but you guys really took like a really strong opinion on it and definitely seem to have a like goal with it. And I'm really curious. I, I really want to let you guys kind of uh, pitch it or explain it because I'm not going to do it justice. Nathan, you want to take it away? What? What? <laughs> <laughs> okay. The, the reason I threw you under the bus immediately is because you, um, you pitched me with the idea and I think it would be fun to sort of walk through where we came from and, and where we ended up. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's a thing I can do. Okay. So, uh, this all started in, last in June when I was at WWDC um, and I was thinking of what would be fun to do. Um, so, I basically on a whim bought my WWDC ticket and I'd done freelance stuff before and I thought this is going to be the year of doing something independently. And like, this is going to be the thing that's going to have my name on it for real. And uh, we had all these, well, not we because I barely knew Sam at that point. Um, there, I and I was I was thinking one of the interesting things is that like there, I don't really like who I am on Twitter all the time. I'm sure that's a completely unique experience that nobody else ever has. <laughs> and uh, I realized part of it uh, really around this time was when there there was that two hour long Twitter outage, which you know doesn't sound like a landmark crisis. If I told myself a two hour long Twitter outage would be outage would be a big deal if like ten years ago, big whoop! It's out for two hours every day. Um, but <laughs> this is uh, like gas lines in the seventies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the, the thing is, it, it was like, uh, it, it was like the electricity went out to me, um, or like worse yet, like I'd lost a second kind of breathing and I'm uh, like, I'm sitting there at a cafe or something thinking like pump it back into my veins. I need it. <laughs> um, uh, you know who really needs to know about this extremely minor experience I just had Twitter, all of Twitter immediately. And I, I think it was sort of in those moments that I realized, well, I tweet a lot and I have a lot of thoughts on how I'm tweeting and I'm hooked into this thing in a way I don't always find flattering. So, uh, I came up with this really weird, loose idea of this app that basically was just a little bird mascot, a horrible, ugly bird mascot, uh, but that was not on purpose, um, that would just be rude to you and get ruder and ruder the more frequently you tweeted. Uh, uh, and so uh, this was sort of the early conceptual idea of uh, you'll go in there to tweet and it will just criticize you for tweeting too much, basically. 
Um, <laughs> There's a joke in there about being a woman on Twitter, but uh, I'm going to I'm going to leave that alone. <laughs> but but that, that's actually relevant to where we wound up. I mean, uh, in a big way, what we saw is there were sort of two camps of problems. There's the addiction problem of Twitter. There's just it's it becomes a compulsion to check it and to become a part of this culture. And then there's the other problem, which is the problem that like if you're in any kind of minoritized group, if you're um, if you're a person with any personal vulnerability at all related to who you are and if you're a person who like has any personal insecurities all these things get multiplied and uh become really injurious on a place like twitter and uh, we wanted to create opportunities to sort of try and mitigate that and to prune it back and to take this thing that was out of our control we couldn't make a new social network or we didn't feel we had the power to uh, but to try and make a statement about how Twitter itself, like small changes in the way that Twitter functions, could m- have big impacts on your daily experience. And uh, the the thing that was most profound to me while working on this home project was, although the end product changed so so much from uh, an app that you open and it would um start to uh, verbally assault you. Um, <laughs> The the core of the experience is really still the same. It's creating a better, um, not not better. It's creating a a, a nicer, a little less toxic, uh, a little less hectic alternative experience for Twitter. It's not tr- we're not trying to be anything that we're not. We're not trying to be a tweet bot where you've got all these features that have been tacked on over years and years and years of development or similar to a terrific um we're just trying to make a really nice experience on the mind that isn't uh this crazy high pressure environment um and i i think uh you know even though our 1.0 is uh a little um lacking feature wise i i think the features we do have uh really support that stance so what what were sort of the main target areas then that you went after uh you said like it changed a lot over time i'm curious like what were the things that you were you were really trying to change about the twitter experience and uh, like how much did that change over time like as you started playing around with these ideas and presumably using it yourself well, so so I think the first realization came when I started talking to people about how, how they use Twitter. And I had some background in like design courses where I would go, you know, they were listening-based design courses mostly. So I did a bunch of listening sessions and I started to get feedback from people. And I started to ask, would you use something else? Uh, what would that mean for you? Stuff like that. I quickly realized... Can you, can you explain what is a listening session? I honestly don't know what that is. Yeah, I don't know that that's what you would actually call it. I think user interview might be a more common name, stakeholder interview. The idea being that basically you sit down and you ask some questions without trying to propose a solution. You're trying to understand if you're even assessing a real problem. And uh, I quickly sort of came to terms with the notion that, first of all, nobody's going to go to a separate app just to tweet. Uh, it can't just be this tweet window that yells at you. It has to be more than that. Um, and we, I also realized that you can't start at the source of this problem with people composing tweets because the biggest problem people aren't going to say, wow, I'm a little rude on Twitter. I should get a different app. They're going to be a problem. And uh, if you want to start sorting through this stuff, you're going to have to change 
consumption behaviors as well as composition behaviors. And that's so we started with sort of a couple major uh, composition th- behaviors. This is also around the time I think when uh, Sam got involved. Is, is we'd met during WWDC, and I started. I messaged Sam like, "Do you have any thoughts on a, what you would want from a different kind of Twitter app?" And uh, he, he reacted very enthusiastically. And I don't remember the in between steps. I just remember at basically I I sort of have black, blacked down in my mind the period from uh, that text message which I sent in self checkout at Walmart uh, to. Uh, <laughs> to filing incorporation documents that the state of Missouri, like that entire window of like a month and a half, I don't remember anything from. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll fill it in. I just wanted a WWDC t-shirt and you're like, do you want to work on this? It's not entirely <laughs> accurate, but um, <laughs> you just signed some uh, business legal paperwork just so you can get your t-shirt. I wanted a t-shirt and a hat and now I'm here. <laughs> But um, yeah, we, we started talking and um, one of the uh, labs that Nathan attended was um, this Swift UI session uh, on trying to make this tweet composition, uh, tweet composition window all with uh, Swift UI. And although uh, we, we tried to make Nighthawk in Swift UI and uh, Nathan can talk <laughs> more about uh, what different types of nightmares that uh, provoked, we, we still pretty much developed the whole uh, ethos of the brand while he was uh, still in uh, San Jose. I That's really interesting to me because uh, this is actually the second of, what, six episodes that I've done where an app and a partnership came out of WWDC. Uh, when Did I? The app by uh, Heidi Helen Polipas. That's the episode that actually, it actually dropped today as we're recording. Congrats on that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh actually I think so all the audience will know this. I don't know if you guys know this or if it was clear from all my uh cryptic tweeting, but there's going to be an episode every day this week. Wow. So, so this is the 6th episode, uh but it's actually the first episode <laughs> after launch week. Uh <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. So uh yeah, so this will be it'll be interesting. So actually I I didn't really say this at the start, but one of the reasons this is exciting is the fact that this is an app that just came out because I recorded all those, you know, in early December um, because I wanted time to get everything ready and whatever. And so those were all older apps that have been around for a while. But, uh, you know, I'm excited to talk about this because I'm excited to talk about apps as they come out where, you know, you still have fresh scars from the the launch experience itself. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you have no idea. We've compiled materials for that, too. Uh, but yeah, I before before we move on from the WWDC thing, I do I do want to just say like, uh, it was life changing in a way that I did not expect it to be. Uh, every day I left this thing, I the the high fiving and all the cheering and stuff like that made me so miserable. But <laughs> every day I would leave this thing and I would find myself thinking like, on the walk back to the Airbnb. Am I joining a cult? Like, what, <laughs> what is this thing? Uh, because I realized there were people who were excited about solving the problems I was excited about. And I was connecting with people because uh, I think part of it is uh, people who aren't there, they want the inside track, which means that you, you meet all kinds of people uh, that uh, might never give you the time of day before uh, that, you you know, you might get to know for the first time because you have shared interests. And one of you happens to be in a position where you like you have dedicated Nothing but uh, like your, your, all your time for a week to just this interest, and this, this is it. Um, so it was it was pretty magical, um, and I think 
the, the, this relationship that, that Sam and I have established, this working relationship owes a lot to the fact that that sort of uh, collision of goals occurs as a part of WWDC. I'm sorry, that was a lot of words. but No, I like very selfishly, uh, I'm very interested in this because this year I am making it a very, very strong effort to make it out to San Jose, uh, whether I get an actual ticket to the, sh- the real show or not, um, for this exact reason. I've heard these exact words from lots of different people, and uh, I... I want to, as I like sort of enter into this world, I want to try and build some of those relationships too. Do you, like, not that you, you know, you've been to, this is your first one you've been to, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not it like is. you guys are you know, super experts or anything, but like what advice would you have for somebody going uh, for the first time to try and make sure they have these sort of collision experiences? Because presumably a lot of people going there are like, uh, at least me, where just walking up to random strangers and having conversations does not come naturally. Yes. And uh, I don't want to say this has been accounted for because that makes it sound like they've got this nailed. They don't have this nailed. <laughs> uh, they do a lot of things really right. They do a lot of things really wrong. One of the things that you can do is there's this sort of uh, working area that you can sit down in at basically any point of the week after the first day. Uh and there's just tables um, and there are power strips all over them. And if you just sit there and you work away on something, um, especially if you have like a sticker on your laptop or you um, or you, you know, you you make an effort to like engage with the people around you. These are sort of like how at um, uh, how at, at some some restaurants in uh, in other parts of the world more than the United States, because we we love our we love our weird privacy in suburbia uh there's this like communal experience of eating at a big table uh it's sort of like that with ideas where uh you'll be sitting next to someone who's working on some project that has to do with some weird iCloud thing and you go oh i've done that before here's the trick and you go back and forth some of the 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 coolest people i've ever met i met that way um and like it it is not a waste of your time to sit somewhere and just work on something and be around like-minded people if that's a thing that you don't get to do very often. Um, I'm a very shy person. Uh, I also felt uh, a little bit out of place being kind of flamboyantly gay in this environment that was very bro-y. Um, and the other trick is uh, finding your corners and finding that like finding the people who like you feel a little left out. And uh, you can really find some special relationships and, and get to know people who are really brilliant. Uh, uh, because the truth is there are a lot of people in, in this sort of world that are terrified to meet other people. Also, don't skip the keynote. I was tempted to because it sounded like a pain and I didn't like the idea of waiting in lines and, and crowds and all that. But the thing is, like, I wiped out basically my life savings for this thing. It's not a cheap trip. Uh, it means that, and because of the lottery process, you may not get to do it again for a long time. You know, it, 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 whether or not it happens for you is just sort of a weird luck of the draw thing. Um, and it's worth just doing, not because it's in necessarily perfectly enjoyable. It was, it was a thing that happened, but like, because it's kind of amazing to be able to say that you got to experience this thing that became a sort of an important historic icon in terms of the way our economy works now and stuff like that. I don't know. That's a, a long spiel. I'm sorry. But uh, it's, 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 you know, it's an experience worth having. And there are opportunities to make the most of it, even if you don't necessarily fit in with the crowd that may come to mind when you think of, oh, San Jose. Does that help? 
Yes, I definitely, <laughs> I, I, that's the first time I've heard about the communal table things, because I've definitely heard plenty of people say, like, you'll be really tempted to go back to your hotel and just, like, work on something because you're both excited and, like, emotionally exhausted. But it's kind of cool to hear that there's, there is an option for if when you feel that temptation or whatever, like there's still a place you can go and you can do that, but it still might result in, in those collisions that can be super beneficial at a conference like that. Absolutely. And the other thing is people talk about how great the labs are and how you can always watch the sessions later, but the labs are where it's at. It's not only true. I would go so far as to say when the schedule comes out, write down on a piece of paper, a question for every single group in the lab environment, whether or not it's the best question you could ask in the world, even if it's a really foolish question or it's a question like, I've never gotten started with this API and I kind of want to hear your pitch for why this is an interesting area to be working in or something. Uh, Because then when you walk into the lab space and you look around and you see this table doesn't have very many people, this is an opportunity to get inside the minds of, of usually extremely brilliant engineers working on solving really hard problems and uh, learn how they think. And once you learn how a team thinks about their APIs and how they think, like a lot of things started coming together for me for things like Maps APIs after I talked to people from the Maps team. And uh, like it was an experience where for me, I realized the human connections I could make and the, the knowledge I could get sort of just by watching people do the work they do was way more valuable than I could have imagined. Yeah, and that's an experience that is not replicable anywhere at all, really. Exactly. So. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, that is awesome. Thank you. <laughs> that's not really talking about your app, but uh that's advice that at least I will uh will definitely use. So, I appreciate that. Um, but getting back to Nighthawk itself, let's talk about the actual launch. Uh pres- <laughs> the thing that this show is supposedly about, but doesn't always uh, <laughs> end up taking up all the time. But you guys actually had a pretty dramatic launch from what I understand. Uh, <laughs> I don't know all the details. I remember watching a lot of it live. Uh, I think one of you is uh, DMing me a little bit uh, terrified trying to figure out what's going on. So walk us through, uh, one, what was like your plan leading up to it? And then, uh, and then what actually happened? We were so naive. We thought we had everything together and every single circumstance that could have happened. Yeah, I remember you tweeting out like like a schedule and I was like, oh my gosh, these guys, they got it like really figured out. You had like phases. Mm-hmm. Oh my with branding. God. We, <laughs> <laughs> we tried so hard. Just because we had a pretty logo doesn't know doesn't mean we we knew how to put things together. We thought we were going to launch in late September alongside the iPhone 11. I think one of the first tweets was which is going to launch first and it was a poll between Nighthawk and iPhone 11. Um, I, I I wish I could slap past me so hard for that one tweet. <laughs> we launched December 15th, Nathan? Uh, I think it was the we, 17th. We, Yes, the 17th was the launch day. Uh, Pre-orders started the 15th. Thank you. Um, So leading up to the um, pre-order, we always joked about some huge thing happening, like Steve Jobs would come out of the grave and start breakdancing as a hologram at WWDC on an impromptu keynote. Um, And that would completely overshadow our launch. Um, And although we didn't get a a, a wonderful breakdance sequence... Um, the Mac Pro came out 
the Mac Pro reviews came out on the uh, day that we launched and the day after uh, the House voted to impeach the president. So small so, news day then. <laughs> it was a pretty slow news day. One of the uh, the the coolest things that completely happened inadvertently. One of our strongest filters at that time was the U.S. politics filter, and one of the most historic votes of the uh, the year just happened uh, the, the day after we were launched. So we had to submit an emergency update and expedite it through uh, app review saying, hey, by the way, we added a bunch of uh, impeachment stuff. Here you go. Please uh, accept it. So immediate updates, really quickly adding patches and uh, features that we completely um, forgot that we had to do because uh, we were really focused on reaching this deadline that at the time we had um, really drilled into people's minds on Twitter. So that was like, that was like a self-imposed deadline. It wasn't necessarily based on like a specific, uh, like event or something. Well, so, so mostly I, I would say mostly, uh, there, there's some of it, which was, uh, you know, we were looking around and we looked at a lot of what Twitter was doing. This was during Jack Dorsey's, uh, uh, sort of December streak of like, um, and you get a massive change to the entire infrastructure of Twitter and you get a massive change oh, to the entire yeah, infrastructure yeah. of Twitter and all this stuff is happening and he says things like, we want to make it more open for developers, um, which I would love to see. I'm really excited for when that happens. Um, uh, and all, all these, you know, big announcements about how they're changing the fabric of Twitter. The topics feature is going to come in. You're going to be able to follow and block topics, all these things. Uh, and we realized really uh, that a lot of uh, a lot of the app that we'd made up until that point, uh, it, it's not that it was going to become dated, but we wanted to make sure that we could make a statement of, hey, Twitter doesn't need to do this stuff for you. Um, we want to sort of make that statement before all these features started getting introduced to Twitter and ours looked like bad knockoffs of these features. Because uh, mm, what we'd done yeah. is we created ways where you didn't have to have massive troves of data for analysis to perform a lot of the same actions that Twitter was doing with its own tools. Um, so one of these things was the, the sort of smart filters topic stuff, which goes a little beyond the way that muting normal normally works in a Twitter app where, um, we're using all sorts of more, much more complicated analysis on tweets. And we have like these branching logical trees that, that are in place for all these things. Um, and let's not like just pass that up either. So like, uh, an example of that would be like the impeachment stuff was going on. Um, and you guys, and this is baked into the app right now, right? It's mm -hmm. not, uh, like server side. So baked into the app is, is a filter for specifically for impeachment. Was that right? It's called us politics. Um, I learned, uh, when I visited my mother over the holidays that I should have named it impeachment. We should have named it impeachment because, uh, us politics might be a little confusing, but it's there. Yeah. And so when you say it's smarter than like a normal mute, uh, obviously it's not just taking out anything that has the word U.S. politics in it. Is it, it but it sounds like it's more than just muting a giant list of words that you've like blacklisted too, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's got some aspects of that, right? There, there are certain people who are on that list uh, and there are certain sort of regular expressions that are on that list that are designed to, to stop things from going wrong. So for example, uh, Trump might be blocked, but the word strumpet will not be. Um, if you turn on certain filters, <laughs> um, there are a lot of things going on there uh, to do with those basics. But then there are also sort of more complex things going on that have to do with 
uh, testing a combination of factors and seeing does a certain tweet add up to a score for U.S. politics. So there are lots of different hints and clues that might be in places that we sort of have mm. built algorithms to help pick up on. And uh, we've got all sorts of tooling like that that's sort of deeply embedded in the way that these uh, these sort of filters and queries work. Um, over time, we're talking about finding ways to maybe expose those more to people to, to use for their own purposes. But right now, we've got this sort of list of specific ones that work, and then we respect the Twitter mutes. So are you guys just like inundated with uh, U.S. politics and Star Wars spoilers then? Well... As you try to build these out? Uh, <laughs> yes. I, I, on When we were pushing these updates, so this was the 17th. Is that right, Sam? Uh, yeah, I was r- right between opening pre-orders and, uh, actually submitting our launch. Fun anecdote, the, uh, bill that we submitted for pre-orders was entirely broken. Oh no, that's right. Yeah. That so was fun. I thought this was the build. I thought this was the one. And, uh, we'd sent it to some testing and it seemed to be fine. Everything was fine. And then I just happened to hit the button to, to check some of the regression tests. Um, and I get a few red flags and I go, huh, well, that's certainly interesting. <laughs> and, uh, we start looking deeper and deeper and we realize, oh no, there are several things in this build that are just fatally broken, even though we thought it was perfect. We thought we were getting the right one out the door and this was just no. So we're scrambling to fix that up. We're scrambling to update things for this U. Uh, this these changes in politics. Um, we're scrambling to respond to the fact that it turns out when the app's live, uh, the number of users on there and the way Twitter's rate limits on the API work, the behavior there changes a little. Um, all these things are happening as we have this thing. We're we're basically trying to assemble the jet midair. <laughs> and th- th- so this is like. After pre-release has started, yes. but before the app has actually technically released, right? Right. So that, okay. that's when we start uh, with, with uh, .0.1, and we're already pushing it to the app store, begging it to go through, going, oh, come on, come on, come on. Uh, the morning that we're going to release, we're submitting an expedite, uh, an expedite request saying, uh, please, please expedite this process, get this through. Um, and of course, you have limited collateral with those. Um, and And... So, so we're, we're just desperately trying to get that one through. And then once that one's through, immediately we're on to the next patch because uh, we've got a list of questions from people as we start to launch. Um, and they're questions that we thought we'd answered and that we thought test flight had shown us were answered. But it turned out your real audience and your test flight audience are very different. So what do you, what do you mean by that? So a lot – I'm going to try and be very uh, cagey about this because I have strong opinions. Um <laughs> A lot of the people who ask for test flight builds, some are very wonderful people. Having said that, and this is where it gets fun, um, some of those people uh, just like to have new things on their device and they never submit anything. So it, that, that build just kind of goes into a black hole. Uh, a note for all listeners, please f- f- please submit uh, crash reports. Those are really great when we're trying to figure out uh, how to make this thing crash a little bit less. Yeah, that's especially true, I'd say, on uh, like private ones where you have to get like specifically invited. I think if like, at least in my case, when once I went to the public uh, release where I just or like the not public, the public beta, where I sort of I'm like sort of marketing a uh, 
a beta build that I want people to try. I don't really expect most of those people to send me reports. Mm-hmm. I just expect to be casting a wide enough net to catch all those. But I think that's more on the expected side. But if somebody's going out of their way to like send you a specific invite or invite you or whatever, um, yeah, I think there's definitely more of an expectation that you're actually kind of doing some testing. Yeah, and and like the 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 fact that those will come through. Um... Uh, I think probably most of your audience is pretty savvy to this stuff, but they come through on Xcode and they'll point to where where the problem was uh, automatically. There are ways to get that information bits and pieces out from other crash reports that come from other places, but it's much more challenging and it takes a lot of time. Uh, so to be able to catch something at that phase and be able to immediately act on it is much simpler. Uh, we were troubleshooting things that were much harder to catch because of the point at which we finally received reports on them. And I think uh, some of that was just me being a little naive and thinking, oh, we've caught it. We've, we've got this high quality app with all these, all these holes caught because clearly if I know how to use the thing that I've, that I, that I know where all the pitfalls are already, if I, if I'm avoiding the pitfalls, everyone will avoid them exactly <laughs> the same way. Yeah. Uh, so we, we learned a lot from, from, from that part of the release and we learned the test flight is useful in a lot of ways, but it's not going to always give us the full picture. So back to the the uh, core question, um, the difference between our test flight and our real audience. Um, the test flight audience is a very isolated uh, group of uh, individual users. Um, and it, it's pretty easy to um, guesstimate where they sort of land in your uh, social circle and, and see how much um, marketing they've been exposed to. Uh, so you can pretty much gauge anyone who's using this app right now has seen our countless pitches and uh, our reason for being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And they're, they're coming in with that expectation. The second it hits the app store and the second they see it on trending uh, around a, a top chart or something, uh, they're going to download it and maybe skim the, the first opening block of the uh, the description, maybe glance at the preview video, swipe through the, um, the screenshots, and then decide to give us a little bit of money. And tempering those expectations are... It, that, that's one of the more tricky things that we've... Um, learned while while it's been happening in real time uh which really gets the the blood going it really gets your um your heart pumping it's a thrill (laughs) so the actual release itself then so you got your your expedited build through is that is that right before the pre-releases went out i can't tell (laughs) <laughs> some poor souls in australia might have gotten our very broken build um the the morning of we had to uh go on some developer forms and and see uh does this go out based off of local time zones or california time or um uh, by the way if you have the answer to that we still don't know. well so i do have the answer for how mine went out because i had mine scheduled but i didn't pick a time which from what I understand, there is an option to do that, but I didn't see it. So mine was scheduled for a date only. And mine went out around midnight in local time, but local time based on the country, which seemed to be like the earliest of that country's time zones. So for example, in the United States, it was local time East coast, no matter where you were. Um, So like New Zealand was getting it, early morning the day before uh relative to my time in the in the states if someone wanted to 
type this up in a real Google-friendly way and put it on the internet, uh, that page would probably be a moneymaker. Like, I, I think you'd probably get, get a few eyeballs on that page because <laughs> we were desperate to find this and there were no answers that made any sense. I got to like Quora posts where people were saying, well, really, you should use this monitoring service that has nothing to do with what you're actually asking. That was it. That, it was hard to find this. Yeah, it's weird. It's like I understand wanting to be not cagey but like you don't want to say it's going out at this exact time because obviously there's like caching and a Mm -hmm. bunch of different uh nodes that it's being sent out to so the timing isn't exact but it is weird to me that there's like zero estimation or no like documentation from apple or at least not that i could find um that says exactly when and i know like I'm, I think I wrote it like in the blog post, uh, you know, whenever I talked about one of the things that I talked about uh, with launching Dark Noise. But I, I even in that, I said it like, I think this is what happened for me, but I don't feel confident enough to say that as like an official, this is what's happened because I have a single anecdote. Uh, because we couldn't figure out exactly uh, what's going on and we didn't exactly want a, uh, a then broken bone to be pushed out to uh, some uh, smattering of our audience in uh, the earlier time zones. Um, we ended up delaying our launch by a day. We've, we told App Store Connect to launch uh, the day after we had initially planned, and then we would be, oh, we were just kidding. Uh, we're releasing it manually. Here you go. Uh, once we got the, the new build approved. Turns out that uh, is not the case. It takes a while because uh, iTunes is uh, based off web objects, and web objects is um, not a, a speedy thing, from my understanding. That that's also something you can DM me. I want to know if 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 there's still like web objects code somewhere in iTunes. That would be fascinating. Uh, but uh, probably you're not listening if you know that. <laughs> <laughs> so we we had to quickly you know patch in that build and and submit it and. Uh, iTunes still thought that we were launching the morning following our launch, the, the fake release date that I gave it to buy us some time after I manually said it and it was still thinking. And I DM'd a, uh, a friend who works on the um, Apple media team and I said, uh, please fix this. And um, he did it. And then I, I bought him a, a Nighthawk t-shirt as a thank you gift. So that was um, one of the less orthodox things that went down in our uh, launch pipeline. (laughs) So just so I'm clear, you, so because of the kind of the confusion around everything you did, what I actually almost did, which was set the, the pre-order release date to the next day after you actually wanted to release it. Mm -hmm. And then when it got to the morning that you actually wanted to release it, you, you hit, you know, manually uh, release the app. and you could actually hit that button. Sort I so so what what we were we were sort of on pins and needles at this point because we were waiting for dot dot one to be approved, uh, and we were looking and we were going, oh, right. is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? So so many moving pieces. Oh my god! Uh, and on top of this all, uh, this was also here at the public radio station fund drive week. So I'm in at like four in the morning answering telephones and taking people's donations. Um, oh, so man. I'm sitting there like going, come on, come on, come on, come on. I'm up. You should be up. Come on. And and, and we're going. And, and so we're, we're waiting on this thing to go through. And uh, basically 1130-ish central time, probably during Sam's lunch, um, we finally get the thing to shift from uh, from waiting for review to in review. And then it sort of sticks there for a while. And finally, it goes to approved. 
And uh, it it got approved. Um, we sent it out. Uh, we I, I uh, texted my friend. Okay, are you positive it's out? And he said, it, it, "I'm positive it's out." Um, and we sent out the link. Um, and almost right with the world, I I tacked on a um, Real Housewives tagline in the tweet, which I'm still very proud of uh, in the announcement tweet. Um, and uh, that was that. I mean, putting aside the fact that it didn't cache our uh, our app entirely, and people were searching <laughs> for it and said, "I don't see your app." So, yeah, that's the part I remember. So, so it it released, uh, and it said it was released on your end, and maybe even like you guys could see it in the app store, but it didn't seem like it actually percolated out to uh, all the nodes in a normal uh, speed because it seemed like it was almost 24 hours before it kind of made it to everybody. Yeah. Is that mem- is my memory correct there? Mm-hmm. That, that's brutal. <laughs> it, it was, especially knowing uh, as, as we had started to, to sort of realize more and more that we just hadn't ad- addressed some of the edge cases we thought we'd nailed. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's a $4 app which is, you know, not a fortune, but it's also a $4 app, which is in app store terms, a fortune. <laughs> yeah. Like th- this is a thing where we are declaring we are a product of quality and uh, we want to back that up and we worked really hard to back that up and we uh, like just didn't quite stick the landing in a couple key ways and we kept like, and we were, you know, patching it in as we were going, trying to make sure that we could stick this landing uh, so we're in suspense and we're feeling like it needs to come out. I need this thing in my hand at the same time. Also feeling like uh, we're in a race here between app review and whatever bizarre caching mechanism is preventing this from happening. Yeah, that's rough. I mean, podcasts are kind of a similar thing where uh, once it goes out, it's there's this weird waiting period because it's decentralized. So like, all the apps take forever to actually release it, but like the stakes are <laughs> ridiculously lower. It's not this like one big thing that has a monetary price attached to it. And you can sort of do, do some work to sort of pre release things to help with that. But I have no clue what the method is to help solve the problem that you guys ran into. That seems like, uh, in part, it's just sort of luck of the draw for that day. I, I guess that some really big companies have, like uh, working agreements with Apple where it can sort of n- not even just expedited, but it can be like somebody makes a call and says, all right, go ahead and like push the button and flip this bit. And it kind of moves to the system quicker or something. But yeah, that's rough. I, I get a bit of the impression that there may have been, this was right before the holidays. There may have been something like basically there was a, uh, some sort of queue um, and the queue got frozen for a second. And uh uh, I picture it as someone, you know, walking into a massive server room and just kicking a server with their foot and then leaving. <laughs> um, and I'm sure it was not that. I'm sure everybody on on the on the team managing this stuff worked really hard to make this happen. But uh, I suspect we weren't the only ones caught in this in this lump because it was right before like the holiday price shift started. Um, but uh, we we definitely were feeling it in a big way. That uh, we we both felt really vulnerable and and scared about this. Frankly, I think. At least I did. This is the first time that I've done a project like this that has been something that I attached so much of who I was to, and uh, I believed in this way. And I know Sam, you you you've you've 
I, I don't want to speak for you here, but you, you've told me you feel similarly. Yeah, I, I think I handled the, the launch pretty well. I, I only cried under my bed covers for only half an hour, so I, I think that was a win. <laughs> Thank you. I won't, I won't take your, your sympathy at Sam Henry going on Twitter. Um, <laughs> Always pitching. Uh, <laughs> so let, let's talk about the actual launch then and the, like the reception. So, you know, once you made it through... Uh, through the the terrible uh, launch process itself, and it's out into the world now. It's finally made its way through all the different uh, caching servers. What what was that like? I know you guys got a couple of articles, right? Was that on launch day? Uh, pretty much on uh, on the day, give or take a few hours. Um, Nine to five Mac wrote an article. Um, I. Uh, did not uh, Clint of Mac write an article? I know Mac Rumors had one as well. Mac Rumors had one. Um, I think there was a Polish blog mm-hmm. uh, that put us out. Um, they either said some really nice or really disparaging things about us, and <laughs> I, I don't speak Polish, so if someone could um, shed some light there. So, what, did you guys do anything to help try and make that happen? Did that was that like through your uh, your test flight beta, or did you already have some relationships? Uh, I, I have a few. Um, friends who work for um nine to five mac but aside from that it was all pretty much uh you know if you're a member of the media i i tacked on a a tweet from our announcement thread um and said hey if you're a member of the media we have this cool press kit that you can check out and i oh by the way here's our email at the bottom uh email us for a, a promo code um so the morning um after our full launch i um started handing out uh test flight uh, links to various uh, journalists, and uh, we we started getting a, a small uh, trickle of um, uh, publicity. A lot were were uh, news stories. Very few were uh, actual reviews of the app, which I found interesting. Um, I don't know if you ran into something similar with uh, Dark Noise. How many people were just covering the launch, and how many people you know downloaded the app and gone through the menus and uh typed up like a pros and cons list well it's sort of weird because like a white noise app coming out is the least newsy thing that could possibly happen um but i know whenever uh nighthawk launched i kind of saw it everywhere and it wasn't just like because i follow you guys and i saw it on twitter it was like in slack uh channels that i'm in or in random uh text messaging threads with people that i don't think know that i know you guys they'd be talking about it and the the conversational point was oh man a third-party twitter app like haven't seen a new one of these in a while because that you know it used to be this like sort of Mm -hmm. playground for designers and it's like notorious how twitter has sort of uh completely quelled those flames and like there was like excitement slash like those poor guys (laughs) was was kind of the feeling uh, i got it was like, you know, people are genuinely excited about this, but uh, we've all been hurt before, you know, mm-hmm. by by the great Dorsey. So <laughs> I, I think that's probably why you got that that sort of vibe as news, because I think for a lot of people, it felt like news. Mm-hmm. One of the best things that I've read on launch day uh, was an incredibly sobering comment on a, uh, a Reddit thread that was not made by us, but was posted on um like web privacy r slash cyber security oh, or something yeah we're getting in the big leagues now <laughs> yeah. someone just commented didn't realize it's 2012 again <laughs> uh, oh. 
which we've established you were what you were in fourth grade fourth grade or something of the like (laughs) so that was a that that was really fun to sort of take a step back from a laptop and really uh look out the window and think about life for a second but i think that was one of the reasons we thought this was so worthwhile is um i actually really still do love uh Twitterific and tweet deck, um, not tweet deck, tweet bot. Excuse me. Um, like I have a lot of respect for 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 Icon Factory and Tap Bots as developers, and I think they're doing really cool things still. Um, uh, I think Twitter's a really challenging space to sort of play in now because there are limitations. Uh, our sort of overall market is eventually capped. Like we can only have so many users before it, it's just done, uh, and that's the thing that we we know in our minds is like. We want to support this long term, and uh, we can be relatively successful and continue to support it. Uh, if we overnight sold 100,000 copies and everyone logged in, we would be dead meat um, because of the way Twitter works. Uh, there are all sorts of challenges like this. The way we cache things and handle things, uh, the way we analyze everything to keep all the data on device because we're hyper-conscious about privacy, all of these things uh, are challenges that weren't challenges in 2012. They, they make the experience way harder than I anticipated. Uh, we thought this would be done fast, partly because uh, I had experience writing this stuff before, and I went, oh, you can throw together a lot of the bits and pieces here relatively quickly. I didn't anticipate how much would have to be worked around. And uh, I think uh, that has been a, sort of a part of this experience, and it, it's actually been a, sort of a constant reminder that it's worth it. Yeah, and I don't know. I, like, I'm sure I knew you guys before. I don't really remember the specifics, but I do remember whenever you, I first saw that there was a new Twitter app that had a cool icon. And I don't know why that was such an important thing to me, but it was. Uh, Thank God for Sam. Oh my God. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it legitimately, like it gave me this feeling of like, Ooh, somebody's playing around here again. And this was a time whenever I was kind of entering the iOS community space slash really using Mm -hmm. Twitter, like a lot for the first time. And I was already running into some of those, like those pains of, you know, you don't like I always kept a really small follower list because I just curated my feed to be small but it's a lot harder to do that whenever you're also using Twitter as a uh, like networking thing and like unfollowing <laughs> yeah. somebody has a networking cost to it <laughs> you know what I mean and so I was in this process of like trying to figure this out and I was kind of frustrated because I'm like okay I've always loved Tweetbot and Twitterific but like they're just giving me the Twitter experience that I want like in this more like specific way that I want it. But now I want something different. And it kind of made me wish for the days when there was a million Twitter clients coming out every week, all of them with a new, a different opinion, a different idea, a different design flourish, whatever. And so just the fact that somebody else was playing in that space for me was like really exciting. And that's why I kind of uh, probably pestered you guys to, to get on the beta early on because I'm in this place where I'm wanting to keep trying different ways to use Twitter. And it's cool whenever somebody does. 2020 now more than ever is what it it would be the most profound time for Twitter to actually walk the walk after talking the talk about uh, being more friendly to to developers. Uh, You know, I I think they're really trying to make some significant changes on the inside about how um, their communities uh, and and how to try and curb toxicity. But you really can't solve these huge issues in you know some uh sort of vacuum in some uh office in market street in san francisco you you need to open up 
the doors and and let people with a bunch of different life experiences come in and build the tools and uh, eventually let consumers figure out oh this is the best way to uh solve um xyz problem um we hope that we can that nighthawk has um shown that you know the market's not completely uh dried up and uh there there's still um, some level of demand for some new and creative ways to repackage and and sort of remix the um, the the Twitter experience that has been largely the same for years and years. So how would you how would you say that the like reception has been on the user side? Like, would you say from your perspective this feels it felt like it was a, a success? It was kind of in line with what you were hoping. Better than we could have possibly hoped for. Oh, wow. And our worst nightmare. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Unpack that a little bit. So people who clicked with this idea, who, who saw this thing and they went, oh, it's cool. You can block these these topic ideas or you can create this list of close friends that's got this special behavior that's a little different from how a Twitter list works. Um, people who get that stuff and and got and saw that this was sort of a, a declaration of intent and that there's more to come and we have more in store in terms of other parts of the Twitter experience that we're bringing in bit by bit by bit. Uh, there was excitement, even though it was imperfect, and 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 we really that was very rewarding just to see to see some validation and to have people say, "I'm willing to bet on your continued creativity in this space and your your continued work toward making something great." Uh, other people bounced off it a little. Uh, I think we underestimated how uh, disappointed people would be that we weren't coming out of the gate with the 10 years worth of features that um, Tweetbot and Twitterific have, or for that matter, like an app with a, 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 developing, a development team in the hundreds can, can produce in the, the Twitter main app. I think people really had a, a strong visceral reaction where they felt like we were trying to fleece them, which... Believe me, we were not and is not would not have been worth it if we were. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it, it, it was sort of a, 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 a split. And it's made the whole time, this, the last month of, 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 of sort of work on this thing, very interesting because uh, it's been so rewarding to think about, you know, we resonated with people and like we spent time, you know, topping social media charts uh, in uh, in like in countries and like spending time you know, being able to start conversations in people's slacks about like what these filters meant or were they a good choice or not and stuff like that. That was valuable and interesting and validating. But then there were a lot of really mean people who like we deserved because uh, this was a hard concept to, to, to communicate and we didn't always communicate it well. Yeah, my mom was scathing in our in our <laughs> app store review. That really put a bummer on my deck. I, I want to push back on deserved, though. I mean, like, <laughs> <laughs> I can't just let that slide. I know you mean it sarcastically, but I mean, like, saying like negative feedback is is potentially deserved in certain cases, but mean is, I think, never deserved. That's a good point. That's or, fair. Or at least rarely. That's fair. And so, I don't know, it, that is a thing that's definitely frustrating and especially uh, towards indies because it's so much more personal mm -hmm. and this applies to i think any creator in any field uh as the team gets smaller it becomes even more personal like being mean to somebody is almost always not worth doing <laughs> uh, and it, it's just like i don't know it, it's really crushing seeing somebody who like i've watched a couple of people whose work i just like 
really respect. And maybe they're still working on, you know, certain parts of their their process. And so it it's like I can empathize with the people who are leaving bad reviews, but the way that they do it is like crushing to this person and it's going to kick them out of the industry entirely. And that's like to me, because you see that like spark, you see that thing where it's like, ah, give this guy like two or three more years and he's going to figure out these couple extra things and he's going to be like a star and seeing that get snuffed out by, uh, what's extremely demotivating to get like very mean comments is it's like crushing to watch from afar. And I don't know, (laughs) that is the thing that just like really bothers me. I I was, yeah, it's true. And, and I think, uh, if you look at our app store reviews, I think, uh, that sort of tells us the story I was talking about in that, like, it's uh, two bars sort of racing each other, the five-star and the one-star bar. And like that five-star bar has been slowly growing. <laughs> each time we patch something else in, it grows a little. And it, that's very validating. But it's still a little sad that like we disappointed that many people. And that's something that is hard to to, to level with sometimes. At a, at a point, we, we sort of um, leveled with a lot of the, the people who uh, left more critical reviews um there there's one in particular i I don't remember the uh specifics of it but um we started off with what a a one-star rating and the guy left us you know it it wasn't mean at all it was a very uh thoughtful and and uh well thought out argument uh against the uh app that he was using uh he gave us uh an extra star for a um a Simpsons reference that I made in one of the icons uh, that that eat up Martha bit, uh, and gave us another star for a a really considerate uh, response um, that we gave back. So that you know those two little delightful things uh, for him uh, brought us up from a one to a three star rating. That I think that's really powerful. I I agree. Like I feel like. It's really disarming to people when you respond with kindness, especially if they like sort of opened up the conversation with uh, very critical, borderline, extremely mean things. I think there's a point where it's not even worth responding because the person's just just wants to be mean. But like it's it is fascinating to watch people say something like very like cruel or whatever and to them they're probably thinking they're talking to some nameless company in some to them nameless country and when they get a response often quickly in that response is like human and and not uh attacking them back it's it's interesting how quickly they'll empathize and often become like people who actually like the product in the end because they give it a second look or look at it differently than they did before that i think that's the hope and i think we've learned from a lot of this experience that really just it pays to be authentic and to be real about what you are and what you're making because I mean there, there's ways to be successful by not being authentic that's for sure um, I don't think we've learned that either of us are going to be successful by being anything but authentic yeah that you haven't heard all the other episodes yet but that's kind of a, a running theme with a lot of these is uh is there's lots of things you can try to market your app or, or get attention or whatever, but there's like a line and that line is often described as authenticity or being genuine or whatever. Uh, and if you cross over that line, it can get south, go south really fast. Mm-hmm. And so sort of being true to like your, uh, yourself, I know that sounds like a motivational poster, but you know what I mean? Like you have to like, 
don't you can't lose yourself in uh in becoming like too businessy i guess and and trying to use tricks or whatever to try and get attention or anything um so it's interesting that you you said that just because i don't know i've heard that frequently through these interviews so far all right well uh we're gonna wrap things up and one thing i i like to ask everybody that comes on here is what like a person that's inspired them or uh they've used sort of as a sort of North star guiding light in their like career or design work or development work or whatever, uh, that you'd recommend that like other people follow. So I guess we'll just ask both of you. So Nathan, do you have like a person? I, I knew this was coming and I'm still failing. <laughs> uh, I, I, Sam and I talked about one that, that Sam has in mind, I think, unless Sam has another one in mind. I do not. Okay, then you, you should go for it. Uh, I, I recently finished reading uh, Ruined by Design by Mike uh, Montero. Um, it is fresh off the, the press. It's uh, it, it came out in like September. It's insanely topical. And he, he goes into really the, the genesis of the book is um, how, you know, the world isn't broken it's working as designed but the way we designed it is fundamentally flawed um you know the internal combustion engine is working as intended and by its uh very nature it's causing uh emissions to uh skyrocket you know twitter wasn't uh designed with anyone other than um some uh white guys in a room in a uh office and um they didn't really factor in any uh, crazy things like, you know, hate speech or uh, the president of the United States sending out uh, declarations of war over it or whatever. Um, that's neither here nor there. But it, and and that's working as intended. So he he sort of went into the nuances of um, uh, trying to design better products from the very start, from the very drawing board. Because if it's coming from a bad place, you're going to end up with a ultimately toxic product. If you create every possible edge case when you're still you know in the early phases of designing you're going to create a, a better product that goes out into the world ruined by dot design you can pick up a book on uh amazon except you shouldn't you should go to <laughs> find through a, a used books uh store uh strand books in new york is fantastic shameless plug i don't know these guys but they're they're very nice they gave me a pin once <laughs> <laughs> i think about that every day <laughs> no this looks i mean this looks awesome uh and i've not heard of this so perfect oh it is fantastic highly recommend cool um and yeah i'll just i'll just count that as both of yours because you know we only need one and i'm already i think uh over my allotted time so i, I feel bad that that we subjected you to so much or mostly i did because i'm a ranter but <laughs> well uh, you're, you're talking I, to one we're grateful to be here <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, seriously, thank you guys so much for coming on. Uh, this was this was cool. And I would say this is our first like normal podcast. But of course, uh, having two people on at once is already experimenting in something different than normal. So uh, maybe next week or next two weeks, we'll have uh, what I would call a normal podcast. Or maybe everyone will be unique somehow. That's nice. Like a Mr. Rogers neighborhood sort of wrap up. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Every podcaster is different in their own special oh, okay. way, and you have to just reach into your heart. <laughs> so, wait, is a Mister Rogers reference to you just like a really like old reference then, or is it <laughs> is it like enough into pop culture that it's fine? Yeah, I I only uh, briefly saw um, 
a Mr. Rogers reference on um, that new John Mulaney special on Netflix, and that is how I know my references. <laughs> you, I'm, I just can't even deal with this. And, and that's where I'm going to cut it off. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, I'd love it if you'd leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or like, star, subscribe, or whatever it is your player has to leave feedback on a show. During launch week, a lot of you did just that, and we've even popped up in a few charts already, so thank you so much for that, especially all you Overcast users who really, really turned out. If you'd like to discuss the episode, you can find me on Twitter at underscore CheckyC or tweet the show at launched.fm. And we have a dedicated subreddit at r slash launched.fm where you can discuss the show with me, listeners, or sometimes even our guests. Links to all this and more can be found in the show notes at launched.fm.com. I'll see you in two weeks.